Libros Schmibros is a podcast exploring the people, books, movies, and ideas that Angelinos care about in a thoughtful way that even New Yorkers can understand. We're coming to you from Libros Schmibros, our nonprofit bilingual lending library in Boyle Heights, on the west coast of the country and the east bank of the mighty Los Angeles River. Hi, uh, this is Cotamo Hernandez, uh, interviewing Sandra de la Loza for the Libros Schmibros podcast. So, um, uh, we're going to talk about a few things uh, about your work uh, with the Pocho Research Society. Um, we're going to talk about some past exhibits and um, and also uh, you mentioned you've been working recently on um, on a memorial for for Sleepy Lagoon. So we'll get all, into all of that. Um, but before we start, uh, how are, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing good. I'm at the tail end of two big projects. So um, I've been working away during the quarantine and I'm looking forward to turning off, disconnecting and, and just doing some deep reflection and envisioning and see where, see where I come out from all of this. Oh, awesome. And is it, is it like uh, virtual exhibits that you're planning or? Well, I'm working on the, um, finalizing the memorial design with on Sleepy Lagoon uh, with my collaborator Arturo Iromo and then I'm also finishing up a residency with the Department of Parks and Recreation uh, County. I've been um, creating a, a, a framework for arts and cultural program and a toolkit for them. So that's oh, what wow. I've been working on the last year. Oh great, great. So yeah you've definitely been staying active. Um, cool. So maybe we'll start with with some of that. Um, so we talked about uh, maybe talking about monuments um, and around your work, you, you focus a lot on memorials and, and monuments uh, in your book, um, The Pocho Research Society Field Guide to Monuments, Murals and of Erased and Invisible Histories. Uh, it kind of documents some of the the different projects you've done over the years um, and you focus on a lot on the idea of invisible histories and um, there's a, a national conversation happening right now about monuments and um, you know taking removing certain monuments uh, particularly confederate history and out here in the west coast um, a lot of uh, talk about Spanish missionaries and institutional racism and, and the monuments to, to, to those institutions. Um, so what, in, what, is, what do you think is the power of a monument and why, why is it important for you to, to work towards deconstructing those uh, master narratives? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I see monuments as a public art form, if you will, um, that manifests uh, historic narratives in public space. Um, so monuments occupy public space, um, but they also insert uh, a history in, pub in public space. So they, they create a narrative of, of, of around history. And historically, um, the pu public monument um, has been a monument it's really a, a colonialist form uh and also a capitalist form definitely if you look at survey monuments around the world or within the context of the u.s um, the majority of, of monuments uh, are dedicated to war heroes uh, and definitely 
war hero heroes who are part of the American colonialist project, um, or also super rich benefactors, so so capitalists. So so they definitely perpetuate and insert hegemonic history. So yeah, early on in the, the work of the Pocho Research Society, um, um, that project was was uh, born out of a desire to contest those dominic historic narratives. Um, um, I grew up in, in uh, Northeast LA. My family roots go here back in LA, like several gen generations. And um, it wasn't until I went away to college that I saw myself reflected in history. Um, and that was through Chicano studies classes. Um, I, I, when I came back home, I became a history teacher. Um, and then later I became an artist and, 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 um, you know, growing up, I, I, I definitely just experienced erasure. Um, so, so, so monuments either monumentalize violent histories or also like, if we look at what's erected, um, the, what's not, what stories aren't told reflect certain erasures. And as someone coming from a working class, uh, Chicano background, uh, uh, definitely there, there, I grew up, uh, um, not having, uh, not, not having narratives that, that spoke to my history, um, realized it was, it was really kind of, I think a, a transformative event in my life was, um, studying abroad in Mexico under undergrad and, um, and really experiencing deep history um, and really learning uh, about learning about myself across uh, across geography and also uh, across across history and I was really impactful to actually see see those layers of, of history physically present in in the landscape um, you know, and so when I came back to LA after after school, um, um, definitely that helped me see the landscape that I called home uh, through different eyes and be much more aware of of that that erasure. So later, after becoming a history teacher and then an artist, um, that those actions kind of melded those two two interests to, together. Um, I think the Pocho Research Society, uh, the, that work also is also um, something that is is also born from what was going down in the city in the '90s and the early early two thousands um, with um, increased uh, criminalization of, of brown and black youth in the city, um, increased policing. Um, increased surveillance um, with what we now call the rise of the prison industrial complex. Um, so I also saw that um, public space be was increasingly being more controlled and more, more policed and more hostile. Um, at the same time, uh, um, I was, as a, a young cultural activist or organizer, um, I was exposed to a lot of, of different types of approaches to art, you know, so definitely like 
I think Pocho Research Society is definitely highly influenced and inspired by um, graph art that surfaced in the 80s and 90s and that as a, as a, 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 a kind of a young countercultural sphere that really reclaimed public space um, with and inserted its own language in, in public space and, and, and through guerrilla means. So, so those guerrilla tactics combined with um, um, approaches to art I had, was introduced to as, as an activist. Um, particularly, I, I was, I co-organized, I was part of a collective called Arts in Action in 2000. We organized uh, um, art for actions during the Democratic National Convention, against the Democratic National Convention in, in 2000. Um, and I met just tons of, of different people who had really provocative uh, uh, approaches to, to art. Um, so I was introduced to situationist um, um, and also culture jamming of the 1990s where people uh, were um, guerrilla transforming messages of billboards in, in public space. So I, I, I um, so all those kind of types of actions definitely uh, help shape and inform and inspired um, um, uh, Ocho Research Society. So um, in terms of, of monuments and you know shaping public space, um, you know because that that is how we a, a lot of us. Um, learn about our, our own personal space through um through our what, what's out in, in the public so um i kind of just want to talk a little bit more about that idea of uh memorializing and, and monuments because we deal here in the u.s we we deal with it uh, in a really fucked up way really um as far as uh talking about you know like preserving heritage which is one of the reasons why um, politicians or you know the president is against tearing down certain monuments but when you compare that to for example Germany um, a lot of the monuments you know to uh, to Nazi Germany are either removed or contextualized uh, it seems like th they have a concerted effort there to um, to not to celebrate um, the perpetrators of, of violence Whereas here, it, it seems like the excuse of, uh, um, you know, preserving heritage is kind of used to maintain these, these memorials. Uh, why do you think that approach is, is so different um, here in the U.S.? Like the, you know, like the reluctance to, to address some of these figures that we, that we memorialize. Well, I think uh, here in the U.S., like, um, we're we're really behind in terms of uh, reckoning with our past and reckoning with the past that um, is built from in slavery, um, is, is, is built uh, from um, land grabbing, um, that is a colonialist project. Um, much of the world has grappled with them and also has a long way to go, um, but at least in terms of Intellectually in public discourse, there's an acknowledgement that that uh, that colonial processes uh, 
the modern nations were created from colonialist processes and imperialist processes. And I think the U.S. is, and I mean, if you listen to Trump's rhetoric, is still trying to hold on to a, a, a really idealized image of, of the United States. Um, I, I think, in, unfortunately, in, in dominant culture in this country, um, um, I think that the, the, the dominant myths, those dominant hegemonic myths, like, um, unfortunately, they're a good deal of the population, I think white nationalists today really want to hold on to those narratives. There's a resistance to letting go and allowing for a, a more complicated understanding of ourselves and of our, our nation and how it was built. Is We're just not, uh, certain sectors of society just aren't ready, ready for that. And that's being politically exploited at the current moment. Hmm. So um, I, you mentioned um, some of the work you're doing um, with uh, East Yards, an uh, environmental justice organization. Um, you're you're doing a proposal, or you're already uh, working on the actual memorial to commemorate uh, Sleepy Lagoon. Uh, for those who who aren't familiar, um, you, you, Sleepy Lagoon was a uh, a swimming hole along the LA River where um, where Mexican Mexican American kids uh, people of color were were able to swim because at that at in that period uh, a lot of areas were were segregated uh, public pools uh, the beaches so this was kind of like a site uh, for for people to to have access to to this public space um, but there was a an incident that that occurred in, in uh, 1942, right? Um, where there was, a, there was a murder and uh, the police response was to pretty much arrest everyone in sight. Uh, they arrested hundreds of, of um, teenage uh, youth. Um, and they, they were, that kind of started like, um, like a big uh, national uh, conversation about um, criminalizing uh, brown and black youth. Um, and this site is, is uh, the, the history is, is well known, but the site itself is, is not really familiar to a lot of people. Um, uh, I, I'm familiar with the site because I did grow up in, in that area in Southeast LA. And um, I, I, w I looked at different maps and it kind of looked that it, it, it was maybe in Bell or Maywood. Uh, but there was no way that I really was able to find where the, the place was because there, there was no way um, to track it down. So can you talk a little bit about that process for you and uh, why you chose to work on this site and, and what, what's the significance of the site? Yeah, well, well um, um, fortunately, I was invited to, to uh, work in by the, the organization's founder, Angelo Logan. Um, and uh, um, my collaborator, Arturo Ernesto Romo, and, and me uh, were invited to take part of a, a research process. So um, East Yard uh, Communities for Environmental Justice, Environmental Justice uh, uh, Community Organization based in Commerce Area, um, got funding uh, to do the research and design component of, of the memorial. Um, and so they created a, 
research process. Um, they created teams, so they created uh, teams of, of, of local Tongvin uh, cultural bearers, um, also uh, uh, some Chicano, Chicano, Chicano scholars and Central American scholars uh to be to to research just different aspects of, of of the site um a landscape design firm is also hired and 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 we were brought in as the artists um so we went through a community engaged process of of site identification site research um and, and historical research um and yeah, actually the the site, the actual site where Sleepy Lagoon existed, it's not super clear. Um, there's 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 different theories, ideas, but it's about where um, a gauge in, near Gage and Atlantic. Um, but the area has been radically developed, super super hyper developed. So so you know, erasure historical erasure isn't just a social process or a cultural process but it's also an environmental and ecological process. So within in our approach to the, designing the memorial was, was one to, to design a memorial that looks at the incident um, uh, and pays homage to the youth, this youth sub subculture, Zoot suitors that got cr criminalized in, in 1942, um, beginning in 1942. Um, and, um, um, but also to the environmental history of, of, of the site itself. Um, and actually, yeah, um, you know, it was, a, it was a, a really special project for me because um, my parents uh, were, well, I have a father who's living, so he's, he's 91. Uh, they were, were Pachucos of, of that era. And actually, my father remembers Sleepy Lagoon. Uh, oh, wow. It was a mixed race, mixed race space. So there was also a lot of blacks also who who hung out at, at Sleepy Lagoon. Um, his 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 brother, my uncle, was actually arrested during the sweeps, and his his photo was was on the front page of the LA Times. Oh wow! Um, and. Uh, more gossipy uh, information about that is also a couple of uncles had uh, uh, um, were coupled up with the sisters of the primary defendants, the Leibas. So I had, I, so it's also very, very personal for me. So, deep, yeah. Um, yeah, and so we, we uh, wanted to, um, I mean, I think if you look at the history of Sleepy Lagoon and you look at the incident in which a young person was uh, found dead, was, was probably murdered um, through blunt, blunt force on, on the head, um, we don't really know the truth of what happened at that, at that incident, um, uh, how that young person uh, died or was murdered or there was some type of accident or uh, something happened there was altercations um, we don't know but what we do know is um, is how the justice system worked at that historic moment and how the media operated to to really kind of sensationalize the, the event and scapegoat an entire subculture um, I think a week after the incident there it, one scholar described uh, argues that um, the first mass sweep, uh, gang sweep, 
if you will, um, happened as a result. So a week afterwards, around 100, 100 anyone who looked like a, like a zoot suitor was arrested. And hundreds and hundreds of people, young people were, were um, arrested who a lot, many did live nowhere near, near the area, weren't, weren't there, so. Yeah, children too, so right? The, the, the truth that we do have, have is how this incident, the kind of, how this incident like exposes the racial, uh, just racism um, uh, and how the criminalization of an entire subculture was produced uh, through mm -hmm. sensationalist media. So what, what are some of the methods that you're using to commemorate the site? Yeah, so, um, so the, there's multiple components to the, the design. And so we want to honor uh, um, one of the themes in, in, the, in the memorial is um, a, a walking path. And um, it's on a bridge. Uh, and it will be about, it, commer com it commemorates uh, Zutsu uh, youth culture as a subculture of boundary crossing. Um, so like actually like in 1942, like it was a war economy um, and um, it was a segregated city still. And, um, and there's lots of, 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 boundaries that young people through creating their own subculture or um were enacting whether it be through like inhabiting public space um also just culturally uh, the 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 intergenerational difference between their their parents generation and then young urban latino mexicanos chicanos of of of, of that era so so both the internal boundary crossing, the the crossing of, of sexual mores and taboos of, of that era, era. Um, and also like through through uh, um, dance and uh, music subculture and, and dance halls, uh, racial racial uh, boundary crossing across race. So in those dance halls, um, those were some of the few places where that were interracial where young people of, of, of different races mix mix so we kind of want to honor that that um boundary crossing uh we're gonna have um um danced diagrams of, of feet uh, uh dancing over the 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 um bridge um along with some phrases of um music big band music of of the era as well another component will be a living memorial so we also want to there's an environmental component to it and we also want to create a space for um reflection um and re relaxation so um there will be a a there's a swale so there, there along the swale we're, we're uh, designing in a an a micro riparian native ecology wow. um, and there will be meditative sitting sitting benches uh, with what I call archival poems um, words phrases uh, drawn from our research process both honoring um, uh, the origin diasporic histories names of places uh, of, of um, 
people's origins that live in the communities today, um, from Central America to Central Mexico to other parts of the city. Um, and I'll, we hope that that living memorial will also be a space uh, that can be activated with uh, programming in the future, just to in help increase like knowledge of, of native, eco native ecologies and also Tongan cultural practices. Um, and then we will have a memorial wall um, dedicated to um, the incident at Sleepy Lagoon, and there will be a tiled mural. And again, like uh, rather than depicting the events of the evening, which we don't we don't know, you know, that those events will never never be known. Probably, you know, that they've been erased or they're in some people's memories. Um, but what we do know is, um, um, but what we are hi highlighting is like uh, the the way youth were depicted and and their sh shadow sides, where they found their truth, um, um, on the the shadow side of way maybe the way the media distorted their image, but their truth is in in that shadow. So we're 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 inverting these these ideas of light and shadow where, where in Western, Western thought light is enlightenment in, in our memorial, it's, it's reverse. It's, it's in the shadows that we find the truth. Oh, thanks. Thanks for sharing all of that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and is there a date when, I mean, I know everything's on hold right now, but is there a, like a, is maybe in a couple years, is it plan on, well, hopefully, well, lots of things are in flux. So the project was funded for the design phase, and then the second phase would be to get funding to to get it built. So, so mm -hmm. hopefully, um, um, that that happens. Um, yeah, we're in this moment of where everything's shifting. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll yeah. see where. We're well, going. definitely, I'll definitely try to stay updated <laughs> on that. So uh, I want to shift a little bit. Um, so. In your book, you, uh, in the book, Field Guide to LA, uh, Monuments and Murals of Erased and Invisible Histories, um, you also have a, you have a section um, the, about Echo Park where you, um, and it, it kind of triggered me when, you, or it reminded me when you, um, when you were talking about the subcultures and, and the dance halls and stuff like that. There's something, I guess, a thread that goes through, uh, through your work also about, um, about these spaces that people create um, and you and you talk about um, remembering um, uh, Latina lesbian bars and uh, queer bars in, in Echo Park and and it's really interesting because um, you you actually you you put plaques to commemorate um, certain sites um, and some of those sites are, are really well-known venues now that people probably know, like, for example, the Echo. Um, and it's interesting to see that uh, you, you talk about these histories because it's, um, you know, they, they really have been erased by the, you know, like the hipster, uh, you know, gentrifier type uh, in Echo Park. And it's, you know, um, and it's really, it's really a tragic thing because, you know, these spaces that you write about were, you know, were uh, 
places that people created because they couldn't, they didn't really have, you know, a lot of other spaces. Like these are intimate spaces where, where they could really be, you know, their full selves. Um, and, you know, you, you, you think about what took its place, you know, the echo and, you know, like they, they kind of are, um, you know, the person who runs the echo, he, he owns a bunch of other venues and he, you know, he definitely is pushing for, uh, you know, this other history of Echo Park or this new history of Echo Park. Um, so why, why is it important for you or what's the motivation to, to commemorate these sites in, in Echo Park, for example? And can you talk a little bit about that, um, you know, the, the issue, how you, how you also address issues of, of displacement and, and erasure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how intentional it was, but I think there is a thread uh, connecting uh, a lot of my work. And that is one like paying homage to to spaces that aren't likely to be recorded or remembered, um, but are important and vital in terms of, of creating uh, uh, creating space uh, for, for, uh, for communities, that aren't uh, non-hegemonic communities, communities that are marginalized uh, socially in, in some way. Um, and and it, unfortunately, there also tends to, those histories also tend to be woven with histories of displacement as, as well. Um, so yeah, that project came out um, um, when I was living in, uh, uh, Echo Park Silver Lake at that time. Um, um, I, grew, I I came of age in, in the in the 90s and frequented a, l- a lot of those spaces. Um, and also downtown LA where there was like a thriving, very underground uh, countercultural sphere. And I just saw it becoming dis- displaced and also co-opted and it's it's rebellion it's funk it's fun uh the liberatory impulses just getting softened and commodified and morphing into something else um uh to a point then all of a sudden i would find myself in like four place areas i spent a lot of time in just feeling like i'm in foreign foreign territory you know so um you know, having gone to, I went to Berkeley undergrad, spent some time in the Bay Area. And so I saw gentrification happen in the Mission District like 10 years before it, it, it really happened in LA. So I, I had seen the signs and um, I also saw like first wave it happening with uh, with bars and, and most of the bars were, were queer, queer spaces. So um, that was, kind of so so that was unfolding so so the, the work really even though it's about uh history it's also a way of addressing what i see unfolding in, in the present and so when those plaques went up i was addressing the gentrification i i was seeing happening in in uh echo park at that time and and that kind of uh references uh the famous quote in your book uh, history is a battleground of the present. Um, can you can you uh, talk a little bit about that phrase? And is is that something that that you came up with? Is that what was the 
the significance um, of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that this phrase has been used probably probably before. I'm not the first to utter that that, <laughs> that phrase, but um, that's something I, I came up with, and um, um, just understanding that like history is a construction, and history is an act of power, and um, um, history is a way of, of creating narratives that shape our perception of ourselves and of the world we live in. And, and history is, is used to, uh, to, to legitimize and sanctify established orders. And so, um, um, yeah. And so in, 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 liberation struggles uh um liberation struggles are always like fueled by contending with with our histories um you know and we're we're our present is just a, a an accumulation of a huge living uh tumultuous past that we are standing on that also is is constantly resurf is not necessarily that hegemonic i think dominant power tries to control um but also history is defiant at itself uh, history also th things from the past all also resurface and kind of disrupt those those uh dominant narratives you know um i one of the first the first plaque i put up actually was uh dedicated to the mural tropical america by david alfaro siqueros um uh now it's it's a center in in Overa street um but it was a mural erased in the in the early 1930s after six months after siqueros painted it and it had been whitewashed for decades um but see, there's photos in the 70s and and uh i think schieffer goldman and and first generation chicano artists and art historians scholars of that era um, documented it. Um, it it refused to be erased, and literally under like decades and decades of, of whitewashing, that mural would resurface. Um, you know, so yeah, history is is an act of power, but it is also something very alive uh, and uncontrollable. And I find inspiration in that. Yeah, and you also encourage people to become uh, what you term a guerrilla historian, right? Um, why, why do you encourage people to practice that? Or, or how would one practice being a guerrilla historian? Yeah, and I, I think like, I think, um, as I said, like history is is a construction in many ways, like history is, is fictionalized. Uh, we, we, we create narratives. Um, and there's truths embedded in, in, in those histories. And also history can, can be a space where we can, we can learn, uh, 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 we can fuel ourselves and, and learn and analyze and, and, um, and, and it can inform our actions. But yeah, I, more so than an interest in um, creating the correct version of, of, of history, I'm much more interested in um, horizontalizing the act of, of history making and also in um, in making I'm, I'm much more interested in history being a space of, of popular discourse um, where in which people are are active in 
in history making. Um, so yeah, toppling, uh, Toppling monuments is, is one strategy of contesting uh, 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 memorials. But another would be like the idea of the palimpsest is to like, to like overload uh, those, those um, um, monuments with counter histories um, that transformed that, those, those histories. So make it a public, public discourse, you know, so. Yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, uh, um, being active, um, hopefully uh, by being active, uh, people taking interest in history, dialoguing, uh, arguing, hopefully listening, learning, growing, transform, that we can learn, grow, and transform from that, that process. You know, so um, yeah. So th th those are kind of some other reasons why I do that work. Wow, great answer. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, so we're almost uh, wrapping up. I th think uh, I haven't gotten the, the Zoom warning yet. But um, before we end the interview, I um, wanted to ask you, uh, so this is, I, I kind of want to um, do like a recurring question to, to my guest. Um, and this is, you know, this is right up your alley. Uh, so I ask people to choose a, an intersection that maybe has particular significance to them, or maybe um, hi history of, of the city of LA that is not really uh, exposed. And I'm, most of your work deals with site specific, um, and you know, you, you have a lot of dialogue with uh, with urbanism and a lot of that stuff in your work. Um, but is there something that maybe has particular, um, like a, a specific intersection or street maybe that you would commemorate also maybe? Um... Yeah. Yeah, I'd say uh, the intersection of the five freeway and the 110 freeway. Um, and uh, our, our, so the freeways it's by, mm -hmm. um, and it's actually at the, at that intersection is like Glasso Park and, and Lincoln Lincoln Park. Close to the confluence, right, of the LA River and right above Adler. the confluence. Yes, yes, and yes. So that's also why I chose that intersection. So not only is it the intersection of two freeways and the 110 being the first freeway in the city and thinking about how the freeways have transformed. Uh, the city and shape the, the, the geography of, 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 of the city. Um, um, and also uh, fuels like uh, its impact on race and class divisions within in spatial, how, how race and class is spatialized uh, through, through the building of the freeways. But also underneath those, that intersection, those two freeways also follow rivers um, and so when we talk about colonization uh, definitely we we need to think about the colonization of, of the land and also if we think about the colonization of, of this land not only of, of, of the, the people uh, all the native groups who, who lived here um, but also the life force were those rivers and which have been channelized um, but which are still alive. And actually, if you walk down into that 
into the intersection of the rivers uh, at the confluence. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's really kind of beautiful. It, it um, you hear the roar of the, of the cars, the traffic above, it almost sounds like an ocean roar. Uh, almost, it's kind of, it does sound like a, like a river of, of automobiles. Um, but there's a whole space and time move, move differently there. Um, and it becomes quiet and there's birds and you could, you could hear the gurgle of the, the river. So it's a really beautiful, magical place. And through this work, it's helped me get under the layers and layers and layers of history and reconnect with, with the land, uh, which is alive and pulsing. Um, and um, those ecologies are still present, even if they, they've been so obliterated uh, and paved. So that's, that's my magic. Wow, that's such a wonderful answer. Very poetic. I appreciate that. Great. And um, so there's so much more that I would, that I would want to talk to you about. Uh, you've, you've written, uh, you know, really great essays about muralism. Um, you've even, even uh, approached uh, yeah, Chicano muralism in, in a really refreshing perspective. So I would love to have another conversation with you on that. Um, you also recently had an exhibit at LACE um, to Oblivion, the Speculators Eden at Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Contemporary Exhibitions. Um, so unfortunately, we, we couldn't um, cover all of that. I mean, your work is, is really broad and uh, I'm really happy that I, I got a chance to talk with you. Um, but hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully we can stay in touch and I'd, I'd love to uh, stay updated on, on the Sleepy Lagoon project, uh, as well as uh, the other work you're doing around um, displacement and uh, development. I know you, you write a lot about that, and um, really looking forward to to all uh, all the updates that, that you bring forward. Thank you so much. Bye, LA. I love you. <laughs> you on the streets. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. So ends another episode of Libros Schmibros, recorded at the bilingual nonprofit Libros Schmibros Lending Library in Boyle Heights. By all means, follow us online in all the old familiar places, or email us via info at libroschmibros.org. By the way, we couldn't do this podcast without the whole Libros team, Quatemoc, Colleen, Diana, and Alberto. And all of them would kill me if I didn't add this. Please consider visiting libroschmibros.org hitting the donut button, <laughs> the donate button, and giving us a gift. We put good free books into people's hands five days a week here at Libros, right across from Mariachi Plaza, up in the old Boyle Hotel. I'm David Kippen, and there'll always be a free book for you, and thousands more to borrow here at Libros Schmibros. <laughs>